Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host Sam Davis and today I'm bringing you the latest episode of our executive interview series. This time our guest is Frank Herzog, the co-founder of the Concept Laser Metal 3D printing business acquired by GE in 2016. More recently, Frank and his wife Kirsten have co-founded HCG Group to support early-stage additive manufacturing startups within Europe. During the episode, Frank details the development and growth of Concept Laser, noting the opportunities its metal printing technology opened up, why the GE additive acquisition made sense, and the big milestones along the way. As our conversation comes to a close, Frank also opens up on the motivation to invest back into the additive manufacturing space and tells us what he looks for in a startup before investing. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Hi, Frank. Welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you. I'm doing very well. So I'm looking very forward uh, to the interview now and to talk about additive manufacturing, uh, yeah, which is a little bit my DNA. That's perfect. That's perfect. So um, what we'll do is we'll come on to your, your latest venture um, in setting up the HCG group, investment group, a little later. But I wanted to start with, um, I guess, the first organisation you founded in the additive manufacturing space, um, which I think was back in 2000 or around the, the late 90s, early 2000s. So can you tell us, I guess, the story of how Concept Laser was founded? Yeah, so I have to really go back um, uh, to when I was uh, apprentice. At Siemens, uh, I learned to be a precision mechanic, and I think this is important to mention because I uh, started really to love to work with metals. And then my big dream was to to become an engineer. At Siemens, I saw all these uh, engineers who were developing those uh, computer tomographs, which was uh, technology like magic. And I was very impressed and um, yeah, I got back to school, um, got um, yeah, the license to go to university. And uh, at that time, uh, I was at the University of Coburg. Um, uh, I, I was uh, I was a self-made man, so I, I so paid all myself. So I had to work uh, for my university to finance it and I, Got a job here in the region uh, close to Coburg, Lichtenfels. There's a, at that time, it was in the mid of the 90s. Uh, that, uh, it was a prototype shop um, with a very nice industrial level. And I asked for earning some money. And the company owner, he is, he's the typical German uh, um, yeah, company owner. Uh, you have to see technology before you can start work. So he showed me around. And at that, at that time, I saw a technology which was really fascinating me. It was stereolithography. That was brand new. And I never heard about that. And he showed me and I was very interested how this works. There was UV light, 
uh, a liquid and at the end of the process they came out apart uh, without any waste and I was used as a precision mechanic you know to produce chips and waste um, that fascinated me and it it really is, is it's a truth um, my first idea was at that time hey we should do that with metals and I mentioned this um, to the company owner and he just answered yeah then start with it I was a little bit impressed by this was um, I did not expect this answer <laughs> he, he just said hey start with it I got a room a pencil a piece of paper and I started to think about how could we do it with with metals and that that was the start um, of everything and um, to be honest at that time there was already a technology from us it was called metal sintering and um, with this technology there was a co2 laser and uh, um, powder materials with high melting components local melting components and what they did was uh, to melt the low uh, melting components and to glue together more or less the high melting components. This was a very artificial mixture of powder. There was also phosphor inside, uh, whilst the melting process um, to expand the melt um, to get more precise parts. So at the end, what you got out of this process was very small parts, 70% porous, artificial material bronze copper um, nickel um, you had cracks all over it delamination and distortion so it was more or less um, something very interesting but not applicable so my approach was at that time to really um, produce parts from original material stainless steel or titanium or hot work steel and I focused on, on that development and, and used a CO2 laser and tried to find out how could I avoid cracks and delamination and get a, a proper part for, for, in first run from outside looking nice, second step maybe look inside how it is and uh, I had an idea which I saw in the, in the shop floor, a welder did um, produce um, a laser weld, but not uh, in one run segmentally. And I asked why he's doing that. And he said, yeah, because if I do it in one run, I get cracks into my weld. And then I thought, oh, this is maybe also a solution for my problem. And I developed my first patent um, this was the exposure strategy to really um, uh, spread the exposure over the surface to get a very uh, constant um, input of energy into the powder. And I did a really extreme test, which normally definitely would have failed because it was a big part and I segmented it. I had 625 islands which I called and I spread the exposure and if this part would work that would be the evidence of my theory. So the problem was at that time um, you know nowadays we have computers which are very very powerful 
at that time the computers were really not powerful. It took me three to four weeks to get the data into the computer. It always shut down, failed. I always had to repeat. Um, and when I had uh, the, uh, the data in the computer, I also had to transport it into the machine to start it. It took another three to four weeks because always failed because of the amount of data. But one day I got it in. Um, I never uh, gave up. And one day I had the data in the machine and I started. And uh, that was very exciting. Um, it, the process was about it run uh, the process run over four, four days, four and a half days. And you can imagine <laughs> the machine finished. Um, and the, the part is in the powder. And when you lift the platform and the powder disappears from the part and you, you have to brush and remove it, that was a very exciting moment. And uh, I saw this extreme part was without cracks. And, and this was really a big, a huge, huge step really into the right direction. But the problem was at that time, still uh, the porosity was over 50, 60%. So it looked nice from outside, but the inside was really bad. <laughs> and for some coincidence, um, I met my girlfriend, today my wife uh, at the university, and she was uh, doing her final project a little bit later in her parents' tool shop. And uh, the, the company I was, was the uncles. <laughs> And so, you know, this was family work at the end. And she introduced a solid state laser for laser engraving. Uh, it was to accelerate um, lead times in, in tool shop applications. And one day um, I saw that laser and saw it has 10 times less wavelengths and asked her if she allows me to test this laser for my application. Of course, she said yes. Otherwise, we would not have this interview today. <laughs> and um, I really designed a small device, test device, which I put underneath her laser and uh, filled um, the device with um, stainless steel powder. I think it was one or two days of testing. We went to the university uh, and made um, yeah microstructure investigation, found out this test parts were completely melted and uh, that was the breakthrough of all of three years work. Um, we were very excited and our first thought was uh, we want to found a company, we want to develop a professional machine which we can sell on the market and we're very excited motivated and then you know what happens um, is uh, you sleep over it next day you find out oh that costs money <laughs> where to get and uh, as we were still students and even that we were students it was clear for us we do not get the money from the bank but we knew there are two successful company owners and uh, we asked them and they were even more exciting than than we were <laughs> And they granted us one and a half million Deutsche Mark at that time. So around 700,000, 800,000 euros today, approximately. And this was the start um, of everything that was in 
11th of July 2000, we founded Consublaser as a company and started to develop um, the machine, which should be then end of 2001 at Euromolchow, one of the first laser melting machines on the market. Mm. So that's a little bit, a little bit the background story of how um, Consublaser was founded. You mentioned there the excitement that not only you and, and, and Kirsten had, but also, you know, the, the, the companies and the people who, who ended up investing that that money. What <clears throat> at that early stage did you see as the, I guess, opportunities for the technology and the, the challenges that it would solve? I think um, we, we developed a really very complex system. Um, we the M3 linear, which we called, uh, was a, a system which was able to laser melt um, parts, um, but it also could um, laser mark and engrave in, in molds, for example, with the exchange module. Um, this was dedicated to mold shop applications, and um, we had the big advantage that we had a very renovated, well-known uh, tool maker in our family and also very huge at that time prototype company and these were our first applications so mode inserts with conformal cooling and um, yeah over the street um, there was our customers and also the the applications a tool shop with a really a lot of experience a lot of technology inside and that helped us to be experts uh, in these applications. And to be honest, without that, I do not know if we would have survived. Mm-hmm. Because as a very young company, the, the, the machine was around 500,000 euros later. Uh, unknown technology. Mm. I think you need really also the entrepreneurs in your customers. <laughs> Um, to invest in such technologies, but they are there. Uh, mm. They are companies, they are company owners who really have uh, the few behind the scene who um, see the potential of the technology and can correlate it with their uh, business model. One of them was really <laughs> maybe surprising because a big corporate company was Daimler because it's, it's funny to look back at that times. Um, one week before uh, the Euromold showed in 2001, we were so focused on getting this machine to the show. Um, we It was not painted. <laughs> and uh, one week later, we had painted it and put to the show. Daimler arrived as one of the first companies uh, at our booth. And they were really excited about uh, a technology really with high density parts in original material. And they showed us a part and they said, if you can deliver this part in, with your machine, we buy it. So um, we started to try to build that part. It took three weeks because, you know, um, software bugs. Um, then the laser, the, the focus of the laser, I think we had problems at that time with that, but we made it. And um, yeah, a few months later, 
we sold that machine to Daimler and uh, that that was also uh, a very important moment because every machine we sold that helped us to survive for half a year, for example, approximately. And um, um, that was really important to receive that money to be able to continue because we had did one and a half million um, uh, Deutsche Mark investment, but uh, it was clearly we do not get more because these two companies have to invest in their premises, in their technology, in their business model. And it was really tough. Um, my my saying was, uh, we have no chance, let's take it. <laughs> and uh, the, the first machines in, which were in a better status also had a, a serious status. Um, and our start was really not in the academics. So we were really delivering the first machines to industry. And that was a tough time because people spend a lot of money and they expect something from you. But it was what we call in Germany iron bath. <laughs> I don't know if this ex expression is the right in English, but um, it was a tough time really to fulfill, but it helped us also really to stabilize the technology to move forward very fast and to get really the tough requir requirements from, from industry and from production. So Daimler have an interest in the technology Eventually, they come to to buy a machine. Um, what? How did the I guess the application and the adoption of the technology <clears throat> develop over those first few years? And I guess what was the initial impression from the user base or the prospective customers? What were their kind of initial reactions when you brought them and showed them this technology and what it can do? Um. <sighs> So um, mainly a um, lot of people who entered our booth and later visit our company, they doubted mm. <laughs> that this technology is stable, that um, the parts are stiff enough. Um, many of them expected uh, parts to fail, um, porosity. So I think doubting was a lot more than believing. Mm. But um, there was also quite a nice amount of people believing that this technology has a huge potential. And I call them the, the entrepreneurs uh, within the customer group. And uh, they came from different areas, mainly at the beginning from mold shop application. And, but to be honest, if we would have only focused on mold shop applications, I think there wouldn't have been a growth opportunity. One or two years later, really focused on what we call direct part manufacturing. So that it was more prototypes, prototyping. Mm -hmm. um, mold shop was nice really to get um, the income to survive. But uh, it was clear we have to look to other areas like automotive of, of course at that time was a focus and uh, also starting some ideas with dental application medical applications aircraft um, and space applications so this started one or two years later and um, which was the right decision of course because um, 
going in that direction, we could really um, grow the application fields. And, you know, with every material we developed from stainless steel to hotwork steel to aluminium to titanium uh, to nickel base alloys, um, cobalt chromium, we even had precious metals. I think you also got applications from 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 these materials, and that ended up that we um, yeah had one big move and important milestone was that we were very successful in um, uh, dental implants, which we produced uh, on one of our machines. Um, in three shift operations and we we were maybe one of the first installations in 2006-7 at Dekotent, which is close to Frankfurt, um, with 10 machines. We built on every shift uh, 750 um, implants, which means um, 10 machines and three shifts, which was really industrial production of, mm. of dental implants. Um, and that was for us uh, first time that we really shipped machines in a quantity and in, in numbers which we haven't seen before and helped us to go into the next step because all the money we, we earned, we put back into development development efforts in, in, in marketing um, to grow the technology within our company. Was it at that point, <clears throat> excuse me, where, you know, you were talking about there was a lot of doubt from the customer side. You you mentioned there was a mindset of we have no chance. Let's take it. Was it at that point things started to change and there was a bit more assurance that um, the technology was working, there were applications being found. And <laughs> I guess this was going to be a successful mm-hmm. venture and a, and a business that could grow. Yeah, I think this is not a, a situation which changes from one day to the next. I think it's hard work, and for every startup, I can I can really recommend um, produce use cases, mm. convincing use cases. So if if you got a two insert conformal cooling, I, we sh- we could show that uh, that you have forty percent cycle time reduction, and that you have uh, by far a, a, a lot better. Um, quality of the plastic part. Mm-hmm. So that, that was clear. This was with every mold insert. We had cycle time reduction, which is pure money saving. Um, but um, the limitation was um, to design it, to machine it, to get into the mold, and then to produce one million parts. That takes quite a time. Um, but after a certain time, after one or two years, we had molds which were running for millions of parts. And we could show um, these as applications and give evidence that mm. the material is stiff. You know, you have a high pressure in that modes. Um, and that, at that time, it started that people were less doubting, were surprised, um, two million parts, three million parts. And in parallel, we had use cases from automotive um, where parts were implemented in some driving cars um, with a really a high load on it. Um, also in other 
areas and um, we also fought for always fought for these use cases to show hey look we have this application here we have this application there we have so many um, cycle times in in the mold um, we have that load in the car on that part and it drove 10,000 kilometers for example and then um, over the time it starts uh, that people are interested as I mentioned being surprised and less doubting um, and yeah this was not a, a situation from one day to the next I think it was coming step by step. Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Paul Miller, 3D Systems Materials Product Marketing Manager, introduces Duraform PAX, a new novel SLS nylon photopolymer that promises great mechanical properties for prototypes and end-use parts, long-term stability, and unexpected low cost of ownership. Duraform PAX is a new family of products that uh, we developed in partnership with uh, Adams Grill Tech. And what we're really excited about is it's innovation in the space where there hasn't been a ton of types of materials. Duraform PAX is durable, it's tough, um, has really high elongation, and is really flexible. So it opens up a lot of application possibilities. It prints at a very low temperature, which is actually one of its strengths because it's easier on printers and has a really high recycling rate. What we're also really excited about is some of the operational benefits. It is faster to handle. Uh, you can remove it, the part cake, the machine faster after printing, and the breakout of parts. And, and that's where some of the financial benefits help our customers as well. When people hear new and novel, they, they typically jump to, it's gotta be expensive. Um, but, but our pricing strategy with Duraform PAX was intended to encourage adoption as a go-to material, particularly for those customers that are looking for prints with unspecified properties. So you, you still get all those great mechanical properties that we, we talked about, but at generally a lower cost. And then it's the operational benefits. It's the ease of printing. It's the operator intervention, the less service. You don't have any sublimation, which is one of the big challenges people experience with PA11s. Our customers have come to us and said they're really excited to be able to offer an SLS material uh, to their customers that, that they can ship within 24 hours, which is, is truly remarkable. This material is intended for end-use parts. You've got long-term stability and in some cases properties that make it indistinguishable from injection molded parts. Can you talk about that? Today we have two different variants and it's a family that we expect that will we'll grow in the future. We have a, a natural color and a black color. We've tested the color and the mechanical properties out over five years for indoor and outdoor over uh, a year and a half. And the tensile strength, the elongation and color all hold up from the look and the aesthetics of the material, particularly when you vapor hone it, you're able to get some translucency that opens up new applications. So anything where you're trying to look at liquids and anything within walls, you'll get that really nice translucency. It's, it's been described from our customers as looking like a, a rigid polypropylene. For the black material, uh, instead of the translucency, you get an additional sheen. So some of these sample applications that we've made is we've introduced texture onto the parts and then vapor honed it. By doing that, it really looks like an injection molded plastic. One of the examples I like to talk about is some of our engineers that work on all these different materials in, in our office and showing these uh, vapor honed SLS parts, people are shocked to believe that they're, they come from SLS. To learn more, head over to mytct.co forward slash 3DS pod 
or visit 3dsystems.com. When you look back and, um, you know, you've, you've taken a business from, from the ground up, it, it, you know, becomes one of the, um, I guess, one of the leading metal additive manufacturing <clears throat> technology providers. What what were the biggest challenges that you and your, your team and the business were, were regularly coming up against? I think at the very beginning, really the doubts that okay. nobody believed that this can work. Um, uh, the challenge was really um, convincing people. The challenge was um, being a no-name and um, no-name technology mm. and starting really to convince people about this technology. I think this was a re- really huge um, challenge and I think a lot of time we had to invest in, in, in sales and marketing and we had lead times to sell a machine of two years sometimes. Um, uh, this was really challenging. Challenging was also, you know, you have the typical crisis when you start to grow, that you have to pre-finance your manufacturing of the machine. Mm. Mm, so to get money from the bank yeah. is the one thing. But if you're struggling a little bit, uh, I think a company in our situation, the banks get very nervous. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's good to have somebody else in your background. We had another crisis in 2008 where um, industry was flourishing. So everybody had, it was overheated, a lot of production and, and, and orders in industry. So nobody had time for something very new. So we we had a tough time to get access to companies to present our technology. And I I remember exactly um, the last beginning of the last quarter of 2008, we had a significant loss in our balance sheet. And we had really to fight to get rid of that because otherwise we would have had really problems with the bank. And I started to negotiate purchase prices. Um, we were very aggressive in going out to customers and we got it. Um, we got the black zero, as we call in Germany. And that was really a big lesson learned. Um, not to give up, to give everything, to try in every corner to find something. And we made it. And in 2009, when we had the really big crisis in the economy, um, that was our start to be successful as a company. This is really funny um, because uh, the well, uh, the well, uh, or the, the 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 companies in a good financial situation, they were inviting us and really thinking in that crisis of doing something different in future, something new if there's a chance also to change maybe a business model or going into new products. Mm. And um, so we got a lot of invitations. Then we had the hype in the TV with 3D printing. Um, I was a little bit um, surprised and, and not happy about that because it was not what we were doing. Um, but at the end, it was good for us because it brought 3D printing to the society. 
And what we experienced after this um, was in big corporate companies, top-down decisions. So mm -hmm. the manager said, hey, what are we doing with this technology? And if they were not in touch with it, they said, we will have one or two machines and we'll find out what we can do with that. Mm -hmm. And that was also the start that bigger companies um, got involved with the printing, uh, with metals, for example. And everywhere where people really had a closer look to it, they found out the potential of the technology, um, the freedom of design and all what we know about this technology, uh, all um, the, the advantages you have, uh, functional integration and, and all those topics. And that led to first orders, also in bigger numbers. And yeah, that was the time when our company started to grow. Big challenge also, as you asked me, is always HR, human resources. <laughs> um, to get at that time all the skilled people, professional people um, to grow a company. So, but we were always innovative also in HR. So we found uh, founded our own academy. It was the Constant Blazer Academy and we worked together with the university and we offered um, development work for students, final projects um, 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 and other uh, academic um, work. Um, and after this, Normally, all the people joined in our company um, and um, continued to work in the area where they started with the first steps in metals or in machine building or in um, in laser technology. And that was was very, very fruitful and helpful for our company to grow. So as a company like this, in that growing situation, you have to be innovative in many, many, many ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> if we fast forward to uh, 2016, um, it's actually one of the one of the first kind of news stories working for Tasty Magazine that I covered, which was um, G Additive acquiring Concept Laser um, alongside um, R Carmen and, they, you know, they I guess it was GE and then they set up GE Additive. Um, with those businesses. Can you tell me um, about the thought process of, of you and your team and that offer came in to buy the company? And I guess why in the end you decided that deal made sense for Concept Laser as a business? Um, yeah, this was also another situation from one day to the next. Um, mm. I think starting from 2013, there was interest from, from bigger companies in our company maybe to be a minority shareholder. Mm. Um, and yeah, at that time, we, uh, it, it was uh, really nice to hear, um, uh, but we were not really interested because um, we, we were a typical German um, medium-sized family-run business. Mm -hmm. And uh, those business hand over to the next generation. And that was also our plan, but then, as I mentioned very often, uh, we had so high growth rates from 2014, 13, 14, 15, where we doubled people, doubled uh, revenue. And uh, we ended up also to um, 
uh, set up uh, US premises, Concept Laser Incorporated in, in Dallas, US. And also had the same, at the same time, had to open something in, in China. We had also the, the programs in, in aircraft, but also military, uh, where you had uh, to deliver um, results um, if you wanted to be in the long run uh, a business partner. And um, I found out that it's a really huge stretch for, for the company. You know, um, from 18 million to 23 million, it's no, not a problem. Even from 23 million to 46 million, doubling revenue was okay. But, you know, the higher the revenue is and more in, in that, that direction goes, uh, um, that, that means a really big stretch. I mean, 215, we already had a huge offer from a big company. Um, and normally that would have been the situation to sell. But um, I had the feeling um, that nobody was prepared for that. Mm. Um, not our people, not our suppliers, not our customers. We had very important customers who made themselves a little bit uh, dependent on us, on our technology. And then you can't have a press release, hey, we saw it. Um, and we denied that offer. And I looked for really professional people to enter into a process to find out what does this market dynamic mean for constant laser and its future? Um, are we able? Um, to do it independently, this technology, the company worldwide. Um, also seeing in parallel appearing big companies um, entering directly into the technology and offering. Um, or do we need um, a big partner with value add and, and financial power? And one 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 aspect also um, in, in 2000, end of 2014 I met Elon Musk in in Rocket Road 1 in Los Angeles and he really wanted to meet the German guy with laser melting because we had made some business and he was also asking me a question afterwards when he showed me a little bit around he said hey Frank um, you are the only guy at Concept Laser being able uh, uh, being responsible for everything I said yes indeed um, that's the truth and he found this a little bit risky um, because he, he mentioned, hey, you're delivering parts to space, uh, to aircraft, to medical. <laughs> what happens if you fail and something bigger happens, negative, <laughs> that can be the end of your company. Um, and that was the truth. We, our, our insurance was 10 to 15 million. And let happen something, an implant uh, fails and it's your fault as a company. I think then you're out of the of the game. Um, so this is a, a really a complex thought process about risk, about responsibility, about growth, about dynamics, about can we do it as a small company, seeing uh, left and right big appearing, and we ended up in a process really to analyze with professional people. 
and this was beginning of 2016. End of 2015, we were denying uh, the the offer, and we started 16. It took four months, and that we decided that we have to find a partner with, um, of course, financial power, but uh, with a really clear value add to the company. Value add means a company who is a perfect applier of our technology or a company who is an expert in powder production, for example, or in laser or something like that. And then it was uh, around mid mid 2016 when we um, published that we are looking for a partner in our business. And we had uh, 48 answers. We're really impressive companies, big companies wanting to enter in the process, um, purchasing process with us. Um, we limited this uh, to seven companies. That was a very tough summer <laughs> to get all these companies through management presentation due diligences, and we reduced uh, from seven to four. And at that time, um, GE um, arrived also asking to enter in that process. And we had some negotiations um, and some yeah, demands on uh, allowing that, um, but it worked out. And then it was less than a month that we had a process which was really impressive <laughs> and um, ended up that we sold 75% of the shares to GE because we saw a huge value add uh, because uh, the aviation, they were huge applier of this technology, but they we knew also about Arkham, we knew also about powder production um, and that was for us. They had an idea how what how to apply this technology for their products, and they had a vision of how to do it in the future. And then it was for us a clear decision that we want to go for this company. And it was 26 of October that we signed. And then um, the next um, episode of my career started being part of a corporate company. And then there was a really very um, inspiring and also dynamic and demanding period, more years coming, where we built a huge facility in Lichtenfels and um, implemented a lot of technology here and um, moved forward with the technology. 25% um, we um, keep with us as a clear signal. We are not selling for money reasons. We are selling for the future of the company, for the future of laser cusing technology, also for the future of um, the place where we started, Lichtenfels area here. So we negotiated 100 million euros investments in that area here. Uh, we had job guarantees and yeah, that was a clear signal that um, we want to stay on board, that we want to continue um, and that we want to be a responsible people for what we built up um, over, let me say, 20 years.
And then today, uh, you and, and, and Kirsten are working in the in the investor space with, with the HCG group that you've um, established um, with the aim, I think, of supporting early stage startups across you know, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Can you tell us about the motivation to, I guess, invest back into the additive manufacturing space and, and also touch on what what you and, and Kirsten and the and the rest of the team at HCG can can add to these early stage startups. Yeah, I think a very important aspect is um, that um, I like to finish properly my work. So my contribution here to Consumblazer Additive was um, really taking the responsibility to build the 3D compass in Lichtenfeld. It's really impressive, huge building for production of additive manufacturing technology and machines and development work. It's a 150 million euro um, project, which now is uh, realized here. There's a lot of infrastructure around. And I also always told GE, um, if I have the feeling I can contribute to the success of the whole thing, I will stay. But if the day comes where I think Skilled people have, yeah, we have handed over uh, the responsibility to skilled people. I maybe try to find out where else I can contribute. And it was in 2019 when we had inauguration of the 3D Compass, uh, when I told, hey, look, this, this is my project. Uh, I delivered um, what you wanted to have. Um, it's it's time to go outside of the daily operations and to do something else for 3D printing, but also for our region. And I think um, we still have a very good uh, relationship. So I can visit there, there, I can bring customers, show technology. And for example, what is very important, uh, we are a little bit uh, rural area here. Um, with some high-tech companies, but not as many as in Munich. <laughs> but what we could show is really that you can also start a high-tech company in a rural area. If you have universities around and have the right infrastructure, it's more than possible. And um, it was really um, very easy to go off-board uh, with GE. The, were really very kind in um, summer releasing us and um, my wife and I we promised if the one goes leaves the other also so I expected that my wife would say she leaves and I follow but I was the person first to say come come on I think uh, the whole story is in good hands and then we were thinking about um, you know my journey is around mid 90s this is almost 30 years i'm a really a, a dinosaur in uh, the form next show and Euromall show <laughs> uh, in that time you've collected so many experiences i started the business really the technology from the very beginning so i'm the owner of 482 patents or applicate patent applications and we got some money which we want to invest responsibly and then the idea was to invest the money in an area where we think we have an expertise in 
that's really printing. And in yeah, in countries like Germany, also in England and France, I think it's so important that we support young people to start businesses, uh, new businesses, high tech, to transform uh, the industry. Um, we have a lot of car manufacturing industry in our area. We have to change this really dramatically. Mm. And so that was also the idea really to support 3D printing um, young companies to get more into the society and also to do something in addition for our area. Um, yeah, the idea was then to yeah, open to, to start a fund, to get investors in the fund and from the money that we in a professional screening process, we, we, we invest in promising young companies in 3D printing or um, yeah, in close areas of it like automation or artificial intelligence, but everything should have to do something with 3D printing. And that was then a decision which we clearly took because that means again responsibility for our own people now. We have, we have a new company, we have new people, but we invest in young companies, they rely on us. And uh, we have, I think, a concept which is, which has a lot of USPs um, because we do not only spend VC money, we are also there as experienced people to support, um, to advise. We have seminars here for, for, the, um, for the Series A companies. We have the whole network in politics, uh, but also into the industry. I have experience of 25 years of applications worldwide. Um, I, if I see a new technology, a new machine, I really have yeah, very fast, uh, in a very fast way, an idea of where this technology could be applied. I can make connections. We have sales partners worldwide, still contact. We can, uh, yeah, we can supply this to, to the young companies. So this infrastructure where we had to work for years to build up so we can really deliver maybe in one month. And mm. I think then it was clear for us, I think this is a huge contribution we can bring to the young companies to help them to be successful. Mm -hmm. So what do you look for in a in a company that you that you might want to invest in i think a couple of the ones that have been announced so far is trinkle and extra 3d so what have those companies showed you that you'd like to see from other companies to then think that this is a good idea and, and worth supporting yeah what what we could keep um is our excitement for the technology and also the vision for the technology and also to yeah to, to have um impression or a feeling of where the whole industry maybe goes to in the future. And um, of course, we look for great technology, for next-gen technology, but really, to be honest, I think more important is the teams behind the technology. We are, we are looking for great teams as well. The best is great technology and a great team behind. But good technology and a great team is also okay. 
um, because afterwards, I think you will go through a few situations, which is crisis, uh, which is growth, maybe, hopefully. And then it's important that you have people who are really willing to listen to your experience. Um, uh, yeah, to see how they deal with stress or how they handle stress situations, how open they are uh, for new things, um, and also to re-ask them um, if it is the right thing what they do today for tomorrow, for example. So we're self-reflecting and such things. So uh, company culture uh, in total, I think, is very important for us. And then we have a very professional screening process with a few steps and toll gates. Um, and I can tell you, this is at the moment around 1,500 startups, CSA, CSB companies in 3D printing in the German speaking area. Uh, I, I also take North Italy to it, <laughs> um, but also 70%, uh, 75%, but we also have sometimes also companies from outside of this area, like in the US, Axtra is a US company, but they have the production and development in Italy. Um, yeah, um, that, that's that's in mainly what, what we are looking for. I think it's it's um, the, the imagination, the inspiration of seeing where the technology goes and where the next step in this industry is, maybe.